Hi again, everybody. This is Tom Oglesby in the FM 98.3 KCRD studios. This is The Chatter. Janet Wagner is here. Colleen Pasnick is here. And we're beginning with prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Remember, O most most gracious Virgin Virgin Mary, that that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection implored thy help or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petition, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's no end to the headlines here. What do you got? Well, you're right, Tom. So this week I have a few headlines. The number one thing that probably stuck out to me was criminal charges have been brought again against Cardinal McCarrick, the formal defrocked Cardinal McCarrick. Um, Second one is um, the nuncio, the former nuncio to the United States, um, has put out a letter yesterday in regards to the motu proprio traditiones custodes from Pope Francis on the suppression of the Latin Mass. You're talking Vigano. Vigano, yes. And um, third one is um, the headlines of the double standard that Bishop Callahan seems to have between two priests, Father Altman and Monsignor Burrell, who's been in the news. Well, they both have been in the news, but for different topics. Mm-hmm. And the Vortex with Michael Voris had a great headline and story. He had, um, we win in the end, and, and the whole um, concept of, oh, we don't need to worry. God's in charge. He'll take care of it. That whole mentality and concept. we got we to go deeper on that one. Yeah, I think so, too. And then um, one that really tickled me from a local level, and I'm just thrilled with our wonderful Governor Reynolds um, joining other uh, governors asking the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade, and I thought that was pretty powerful. Unbelievable! Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, that's exciting. That is so exciting. She's done some good work, and I just love that. I just love that she is so um, oriented towards life and not just birth and pregnant mothers, but she really cares, or so it seems, mm-hmm. um, about everyone mm-hmm. and a good quality of life. And I just think that's great with the state of Iowa. Walk softly and carry a big stick. Mm-hmm. What'd you get, Colleen? Any headlines? Well, I have to say, uh, two of them are the same as Janet's with the criminal charges against the formal former Cardinal uh, Ted McCarrick. That was one of mine for sure. That I mean, that's really huge news. Uh, you know, I and I also heard on a related note that he wrote a letter to Cardinal Pell when Pell was in prison and that he signed it, Ted McCarrick, um, Catholic, former Cardinal. Mm. Isn't interesting. that interesting the way that he would sign that? But anyway, so, um, yeah, so I think that's huge. Now, he there are criminal charges, but I don't think he's been arrested, right? I think he has to, like, the end of August to show up. He has to be extradited, is my understanding, too, okay. because I'm trying to remember where he's he's been moved. So he's in a place where I think he has to be brought to Massachusetts for the... Yeah, extradition. Yeah. From Missouri. What did I say? Extradited? You said that, extradition. Yeah. But he's in Missouri, because I okay. looked up where he is. So he, you know, he was in Kansas for a while, and then he went to Florida. And now they say they served him in Missouri, and I looked up the place, 
I forget the name. It begins with a D. It's in the greater St. Louis area. Okay. So that's where he is now. But here's the backstory. The, the little-known backstory that doesn't get in here. So he is no longer uh, Cardinal McCarrick. Correct. He's no longer Father McCarrick. Correct. He's laicized. Correct. What's the significance? In general or in his instance? In, 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 yeah, in, in both. Both. Well, you know, once a priest, always a priest. You are changed. Yeah, you're missing. Let me, let me, I'll, I'll so skip, to, skip, skip to the point. The significance is this. Once he's laicized by the Vatican, and it has to be by the Vatican. This is a cardinal. This isn't some uh, guy out in Guam. This is, this is a cardinal. This is a um, successor to Peter on the, on, on, in that area, the, the uh, cardinals of the church. The prince of the church is what I was looking for, the prince of the church. Once he's laicized, he can't be tried under canon law. He's no longer a priest. If he were a priest and he was tried under canon law, the prosecutor could call witnesses. Whom do you think the prosecutor would call as witnesses under canon law for the crimes against humanity that uh, would would be in the church? Who Who do you think would be called to? What cardinals in the United States that covered up from New York, Newark, New York, Dallas. McCutcheon, Dallas, Washington, D.C., Chicago. Chicago. All of those archbishops and cardinal archbishops likely would have been called to testify in a canon court. So are you implying that the Vatican laicized him to protect the other cardinals so they wouldn't have to testify, so everything that would have to take place would be in the secular world, secular courts? I'm not implying that. I'm saying it's a practical consequence of what's going on here. What looks like a severe punishment actually protects the good old boy network. Yeah. Well, and many, you know, a lot of different people who have had opinions from the Catholic um, individuals who report on the news with some of these topics and these headlines. We're bringing up that very point that typical behavior of the Vatican for something like this is drag your feet, drag your feet, mm-hmm. drag your feet, he dies, it's over. Mm-hmm. And that's what's frustrating lay people. And many, frankly, many priests and bishops who are good, who are tired of this because they're taking the brunt of the blame for the behaviors of some individuals like McCarrick. And so it, it's very frustrating because it's just, it's, you see this and it's just, it's not the first time. And, you know, we had this in 2008, you know, and then we had the summer of shame a couple summers ago. And we still do not have a report from the Vatican on on this whole subject. Well, and it's and it's been so dismissed by so many bishops. Well, it's becoming an illusion that uh, we think we're owed information and explanations, transparency and accountability from the hierarchy domestically in this bishops conference or from any conference uh, including the Vatican. Well, and it totally erodes trust. 
And, and, you know, you go back and you look at something as simple as people don't go to church, let alone believe in the true presence of Jesus Christ, okay? Why? Well, how many times can you um, have stuff like this happen? Scandal after scandal. Mm -hmm. Sexual scandal after sexual scandal. Homosexual scandal. Financial scandal. And it goes on and on and on. And as time goes on, it's even actually getting worse because more of it is being exposed. Now, that may be a fly in the ointment, but actually it's a positive. Because once everything is exposed with our faith in Christ, he is going to remedy this. Well, if we've got any pulse, and Colleen, you and I are somewhat closer <coughs> on it, but given the, the email and the snail mail and the phone calls that we get here at the radio station, and it's mostly here Midwesterners, uh, you know, maybe as far away as La Crosse and Madison and Rockford and Des Moines, and, but mostly around here, people are saying, I didn't know that was happening. How long has this been going on? I mean, you, you're starting to hear that more frequently, weekly. I just had it said to me yesterday, um, I didn't know all this stuff was going on in the church. And to be honest, I mean, people are living their lives, right? They're taking kids to soccer games or they're working. They're trying to feed their families. Um, not everyone is looking into Catholic church news all the time like we are. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, like you had mentioned, Janet, I think the trust is being eroded, and they hear a little piece, and and the trust goes away a little bit more. And and the good bishops and priests suffer, like you say, because they kind of all get lumped in right. with people that are still trying to cover up. You know, 2002, that scandal, that's almost 20 years ago. Then three years ago, uh, McCarrick. Now we have this just last month, Burrell, oh. and more cover-up. You know, it's like they haven't. That's bigger their than lesson. the headline. That's one. That's bigger than the headline. It's a it's a whole segment, but it's just another example of things haven't changed. Protect Here, your here's own. the one I can't get over here, and I don't know if I shared this with the two of you because it it. Uh, so I've got a woman, and she calls up, and she wants to come to our September twenty second event. And so we're walking through the tickets and everything like that. And she says, I'm so happy this is going on here. She says, I've left the church, but I can't leave. You know, she hasn't left the church in her heart, but she left her. I says, so I'm just listening. And they're calling us. And here's what she's, she's saying. She says, my husband died last year, 2020, during the pandemic. I couldn't get a priest there. Could not get a priest to come and anoint her husband who died, married in the church, raised their children in the church, couldn't get a priest to come. Well, she's somewhat understanding to the extent, I would not have been understanding, but she was understanding. So as she gets through the death and funeral arrangements, whatever those were, I don't even know if she was had a Christian burial with the wake service and the graveside service and all of that. But she says, I wasn't doing so well afterwards for a couple of weeks, so I, I called the priest back, and I said, could we just get together and talk? She says, you know, things are not all that sorted. And, and the priest's response was this. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, what's your calendar looking like in a couple of weeks? I'm, I'm uh, pretty much booked up here for a couple of weeks. And she says, Tom, at that point, I not only left physically but i left in my heart and she's not the only one and she's not the only one but tragic it is so tragic, tragic. It, just, it breaks my heart honestly i just want to reach out to her hug her 
and I wish there was something more I could do. But That's I'm not, not Madison. That's Dubuque, Iowa. Right. And if she is listening right now, we are so sorry that you yes. went through that. We are so sorry. I think we need to go even further than that, Colleen, because if Janet's correct that she's not the only one, our telephone number is 563-231-3545. That's 231-3545. Now, you're not going to get us there. You'll get a voicemail. You leave a voicemail, and somebody will get back to you, um, usually within a couple hours, next day at, at the end of it here. And we will listen with you. We will pray with you. And if you can find, if you need to talk to a priest, we got some priests. Because we need to state, whoever that priest was, there are better priests. That's right. And there are better priests here in Dubuque. And we'll make that connection. And anybody who feels like they've lost the church in their heart and in their lives, and you're living here in Dubuque, and you're ready to give up on Christ, stop in your tracks. Call us, 563-231-3545, and we will get you a priest. We've got deacons who will listen to you and... You deserve better. And there are, there are, this is the problem. The bad priests make it hard for all of the good priests, Colleen. That's a, just like we were saying, someone like McCarrick uh, makes it hard for all the good bishops and the good priests out there because they all do kind of get painted with the same broad brush. My heart just broke. My heart don't break so easy here, but uh, hang in there, ladies and guys. Well, and... And it's not only that. I mean, it, it's this is continuous. And in some places, it seems like it's led by bishops in certain dioceses because the bishop gives an order to all the priests and the priests follow a, you know, this obedience and they can't administer the sacraments. And I'm like, if you are one of those priests and you are being withheld from your bishop to not give the sacraments for which you were ordained... You are one of our blessed mother's sons. Are you, what are you going to do? Well, here's here's the other thing here too. So not only do the um, the men and women here that that are in that position here, uh, Janet, that woman that I just described, mm-hmm. the priests need to know that we have your back, that we stand behind every priest in this listening area, in the archdiocese, and in the two dioceses in Illinois and Wisconsin where this radio signal uh, works, we have your back. You will not go hungry. You will not go homeless. You will not have be without transportation. I make that statement categorically, Colleen. We have people who will feed, house, and transport any priest who feels like he has been threatened or the the list is becoming long. It is becoming long and you're exactly right. And I fully support that. And I know most of our listeners would feel the same way that we would have the back of the good priests that are willing to bring the sacraments to the dying that are willing to make time in their schedule to talk to a woman who's grieving. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's heartbreaking. And that, you know, the other side of it too is what is so busy in a priest's schedule Really? I mean, you can't be having any meetings. Well, they got meetings. They got... they got. Uh, not during COVID. Supposedly not. 
you know, and then... I don't know how that wasn't a drop everything I'm doing right now. And, and you to come to my uh, rectory or my church or, or my confessional, or I'm coming to your place, and I'm bringing fried chicken. And I would have to think that most of the priests that we know would do that unless they were told to not do that. Unless they were afraid of disobeying, whether it's the bishop or the state that says you're not going into a hospital. All right. But so where's our Damien Molokai? You, you, you just hit on my state here, because this wasn't in your headlines, but I've had this percolating for some time here. Since February, yes, the Catholic Church benefited from federal PPP loans. I couldn't have been set up better. Let me do this here. An extensive report from the Associated Press documents show how Catholic dioceses and other Catholic institutions received $3 billion, in at least $3 billion in federal aid from a program aimed at protecting jobs during the COVID-19 pandemic, period. The $659 billion paycheck protection uh, was enacted by Congress as forgivable loans. The Catholic Church, dioceses, and institutions received $3 billion. They were the largest recipient of these dollars. So they got $3 billion of the $659 billion, but in the aggregate, they were the largest recipient, $3 billion. Now, you only get that money if you stay locked up. Well, that's an awesome place to wrap up this segment and continue in the next one. We'll be back on The Chatter on FM 98.3 KCRD. We are back. Colleen Pasnack, Janet Wegner, I'm Tom Oglesby on FM 98.3 KCRD. We are the chatter, and you're giving me a strange look, Colleen. Well, we ended that last segment, and my head is still spinning. Well, my head is spinning, and my heart is hurting for that woman that you described on that phone call. I mean, I, I, my heart just hurts for her. But you went into there at the very end of that segment about PPP money and $3 billion, and I'm thinking... What the heck is PPP and what the heck are you talking about? So can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, as of uh, February, and this has been revised since then, February 2021, here's, here's the uh, clinical definition. $659 billion in what's called the Paycheck Protection Program, PPP, Paycheck Prote- Protection Program, enacted by Congress for forgivable loans to entities if they did not lay off workers during the period covered by the loan. Uh, I'll go a little deeper. Although Congress described the program as an aid to small businesses, uh, it was also available to nonprofits, of which the church uh, falls into. The Trump administration exempted uh, religious organizations from the affiliation rule which allowed dioceses and parishes to get PPP loan. But the idea here is... You only get the money if you're closed down. Closed down. So, 
I don't mean to be crass, but uh, whoever this priest is, uh, I don't miss you and I don't miss your money, because I'm getting money either way. Right. Right. It reminds me of the situation in Germany, where the church gets their money by your taxes. They yeah. don't care really if you show up in church or not. You know, they get their money. You, you check on your tax form what denomination you are, and that's who gets a percent of your money. And if you're not a registered Catholic, there's no funeral for you when you die. Mm -hmm. There's no sacraments, mm -hmm. right? Because you didn't say you, you were a Catholic. And yeah. I don't mean to be cynical about that. I'm not, I'm not cynical about it. But what business are we in? Salvation of souls. Yes. What's the number? Why does the church, uh, church exist? What's Matthew 26? <laughs> We, we are here to evangelize, and once you're in the boat, we're here to make sure you don't get wet. Right, exactly. Well, going to the salvation of souls, I mean, we have, I, I, I too am just heartbroken with the story of this woman. And the thing that's just as heartbreaking is she's not the only one. Well, that's it. How many family members? That's it. How many family members? How many people have died? Um, <clears throat> and... And to have someone be so fearful not to carry out their vocation as a priest. Right. Where's our Damien Molokai's? Like I said before, where are... Who's Damien? I'll tell people because he's, he he's not necessarily household, but um, should Saint be. St. Damien Molokai was on the... Um, St. Damien was on the island of Molokai in Hawaii, and that was the leper colony. Exactly. And he went and ministered to those people, brought them the sacraments, provided community and eventually contracted leprosy himself and died. But he did not let the fear of that disease stop him from not only his vocation, but to provide sacraments to the people so that they could have the best opportunity for their own salvation. And notice, he wasn't born St. Damien. He died St. Damien. <gasps> Drew, now I'm just going to play devil's advocate for one second. Someone so like her. <laughs> so You're I'm right. a priest and I've got my uh, parishioners and one is dying in the hospital and I want to go in and see them and give them the sacraments and they will not let me in the door why will they yeah. not let you in the door because first of all um, they're not letting anybody in the door I mean you have to drop your loved one off at the front door and let someone totally a total stranger take care of them and you can't even be in there with them so they're like nope no visitors patient only so then what's the priest to do well, here, let, let's do this here, as long as we're open up that, that can. Let's back up on the, on the uh, topic, because they're talking about another lockdown. If you, if you look at the undercurrent here, they're talking about another lockdown. If just one bishop in this country, if one bishop anywhere in the world chained himself to the tabernacle and said, I'm not going, my church, my cathedral, will stay open. What do you think they're going to do to a bishop of the church? Nothing. It's going to stay open. What do you think it's going to do to the priests that look up to that bishop in that diocese? They're going to be rejuvenated, inspired, and ready to work. Ready to work. Three, what if that priest or that bishop, after... The aftermath, and, and it's reported, well, I guess the church is going to stay open, comes out and declares that every priest and every deacon 
is an essential worker and has my authority to go anywhere and everywhere with the Blessed Sacrament, with a purple stole to hear my confession, and the, and the sacred oils, the chrism and, and all the oils. What do you think is going to happen? More, so, more souls are going to be saved. Yeah, I think you need the, a strong bishop to do that because I think his priests will follow him. Well, I think of course so they too. will. It's obedience. And there is not a governor or a mayor or a county supervisor anywhere in these 50 states that will arrest a bishop who does that. They can't, right? Well, the church has authority. <laughs> Whatever happened I mean, to separation of church that? and state, which is a whole other deal. But that's a whole other show. show. That's a whole other show. <laughs> no, this, this is sanctuary. This is sanctuary. I, I want to take that a step farther, Tom. What would happen if one bishop would perform an exorcism over this disease in our country? Well, I don't think it would be as effective as all 240-odd bishops doing that in unison. Which I would love. But if one bishop would start that and then ask his brother bishops to join him, that, that would be so awesome. Well, and, and uh, I, think, I think we should uh, say more strongly what we said about our priests. If we're going to back our priests who may not be um, inclined to be courageous may not be their personality they might have situation i think we need to tell that to our bishops and archbishops we've got your back stand up for christ and we the laity will stand up with you yeah when the truth comes out like that when they act in persona christe which is acting in the image of christ and and get this because not only at mass at Mass, the priest or the bishop, who's ever saying Mass, acts in the person of Christ. Absolutely. That's in persona Christe. But that also carries out into the mission field, which is the world, which when Mass is over, you go out. And so imagine if we would take that same um, image of Christ more fervently into some of these situations, and we shouldn't even be having this woman having these types of experiences. Well, we we got got some other people here calling the station. Uh, one one guy <laughs> tells me, he says, Tom, I don't think these priests and the bishop understand how much we love them. We want them to do stand up. Right. We don't. I got got another uh, uh, woman who called in and who's getting the uh, the letter from the pastor. No apologies for it, openly stated. We have not visited anyone in the hospital. We have not baptized we have not given last rites and she was appalled and it went down the lit what what we haven't done but at the close of it uh don't forget we do do direct deposit for your envelopes yeah so i mean where's the disconnect how how can the laity see that and just be appalled they're just sickened by that how can not the priest or the bishop not be sickened by well that? it was it was it was she was appalled by it and um you know her her paradigm was shook Sure. Because, Understandably. Yeah, she's she's like, why would they do this? Why would they not go into the... The perception on the street is that if you were in the hospital and you were dying from any morbidity, that you would be 
taken care of uh, as a as a Catholic, that you had the right to the sacraments. It would be nice too that as things were starting to open up, that the priests themselves would take Jesus to the patient and not an extraordinary Eucharistic minister. Um, because, and the reason why is this, when you're in the hospital as a patient, you are vulnerable. Mm. Mm. And when you're vulnerable and you see that the body of Christ is coming, yes, you don't want to deny yourself. But you also realize what a sinner you are because ironically, sickness does that to a person. It makes things black and white real quick. I would just like it if priests would go to the patients so that not only could they receive the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, but also have confession. And frankly, in my opinion, you should be having confession before you receive. Well, this this brings up the whole topic, which we could uh, talk at length about. But, I mean, God bless the deacons who take the Blessed Sacrament into the uh, hospitals, nursing homes, private homes, and some of the extraordinary Eucharistic ministers. However, that's only one sacrament. They cannot hear your confession. Pray to God that you're in a state of grace to receive the Blessed Eucharist. Or anoint you, the anointing of the sick. Which is... James, the book of James. Books, book of James. I mean, what? How powerful is this? Mm-hmm. And didn't Mary, uh, in one of her apparitions, say that in in later times to come, that the sacrament of uh, extreme unction, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, would be widely ignored, disposed, unused. Yes, I remember hearing that, but I can't. I can't place the. um, I couldn't tell you the apparition, but that sounds familiar. I mean, he gave us seven, not six and a half uh, or six. You know, here this is—it's not an extra credit thing. Mm. And there's a difference between a sacrament and a sacramental. Yeah. So what do you mean? Well, you know, a sacramental is where. You know, you wear you wear a um, miraculous medal, and it's been blessed, and you wear it for protection. That's a sacramental. Holy water, holy, holy water, blessed salt, brown scapular. Right. Um. You know, when you like you said, holy water when you make the sign of the cross. It's all those things are good, but in and of ourselves, we are not ordained priests. And there are special graces given to the ordained priest that is transferred when they exercise those sacraments to the individual and that individual receives those graces. And it propels them not only to have a greater opportunity at heaven, um, but also to amend their lives. Mm-hmm. And so we all need amending. I mean, we're all sinners. Well, they're effective, uh, the sacramentals. Uh, the exorcists say that uh, holy water doesn't, I mean, it it chases away uh, demons, which is part of the reason why uh, it's it's at the entrance to all of our churches, now, and, or and why be. we have blessed <laughs> or should be. Thank you, doing that. I was reading here. I wish I could place it here. I'm horrible at footnoting here. That's part of the reason why church bells are blessed. Yes, that's right. Drives demons away at the start of church. 
Not just to uh, let you know it's noontime and you got to go home for lunch, which is a good idea, too. I can't remember who said it, but I think it was an exorcist who said that in the midst of an exorcism, it's been his experience that when he does the prayers in Latin, the demons can't stand it. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Colleen, have you noticed she's first name basis with a lot of exorcists? I think so. I'm wondering if that's a whole other show. I'm blessed. (laughs) Could be. Could be. It's one of the possibilities here. But, okay, so let's, let's transition a little bit. We have these sacramentals. We've we've talked about this. Um, how does this tie into um, we win in the end? That headline that came out. Do we that. have enough time for it? How about where are we doing? We got three uh, minutes. Got Let's three get minutes. into it. All right, all right. So there's a there's a news release that came out in the last seven or ten days here with the uh, headline uh, "We Win in the End." And um, the gentleman goes through and speaks about the. Uh, almost malaise of Catholics who, as they do become aware of the social ills and the deficiencies in the church and all of the shortcomings of life, that, oh, ho-hum, we win in the, in the end. Therefore, I don't need to do anything. Not just sit right. here, yep. fat, dumb, and lazy. I can't do anything anyway. I'm not a bishop. I, you know, I'm not Mary. She'll come back. She's a, you know, she'll have the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. Mm-hmm. So we just have to wait and be patient and just pray. Don't rock the boat. Yeah. Don't just be d- silent. Be silent. Don't be complicit. Don't be Can't divisive. Do don't, don't be divisive. divisive. Don't be, um, what, what's, goes, what's the first cousin to divisiveness? Uh, tone. 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 Yeah. Watch your tone. Yeah, none of the saints had that attitude, right? None. What if Joan of Arc had had that attitude? Exactly. Yeah. What, what would you give for a recording of John the Baptist? Oof. Oh, I love that saint. Oof. Herod. I think he'd be called divisive. Mm-hmm. I'm sure of it. I'm sure he would have a tone. Yeah. But you notice, even though he was very strong in what he told Herod, the scripture says Herod liked to listen to him. I know. There is something attractive about the truth. Herodias wasn't so hot on that. Well, no, See, but... I think that's where it came from. Herodias didn't like it, so like women can be kind of vindictive. Thank you. Hmm. But, uh, but people know the truth when they hear it. They know the truth when they hear it. So let's, let's drill down on this. Uh, we win in the end, and Michael uh, makes the point, and he says that's totally wrong it's a false premise or it's a false conclusion rather the premise is you need to get into the battle we are church militant and how do we know we're going to win in the end his point his point on point was that's only half true christ wins in the end christ triumphs that was uh, schneider's what it was christus vincent mm-hmm. christ wins does not mean we or you necessarily win in the end. So if you think you're just going to tag along on the coattails of Christ by um, getting the big bag of Doritos and hanging out, probably not going to happen. And this is a Joan of Arc thing because you have got to cooperate. You have to cooperate in these battles. You have to do what you can do. You ha- and that's grace. 
That's why you go to Mass. That's why you receive sacraments and wear sacramentals. They're filled with grace. And it's those grace, those graces that'll sustain you in times when you have no clue what you're going to do. But then all of a sudden, at that moment, you're given the grace to know what to say, know how to act, know what kind of tone to have, mm-hmm. um, know when to be firm in your stance. Well, the battle we have right now is time. We're at the end of segment two, and we're going to be right back here on The Chatter with Colleen Pasnick, Janet Wagner. I'm Tom Oglesby on FM 98.3 KCRD. We are back, everybody. Tom Oglesby in the FM 98.3 KCRD studios, the studios you've made popular, you've made possible by all of your great donations here at KCRD. Janet Wagner's with us and Colleen Pasnack. And our third segment out here this afternoon, we want to talk about Archbishop uh, Vigano, and we want to talk about uh, a couple of other things, Monsignor Burl. Uh, what do you got on that, Janet? Well, on Archbishop Vigano, I yeah. believe, came out yesterday or the day before with his letter, um, his response into Pope Francis's motu proprio on the Traditiones Custodes document. And he really um, did not mince his words. I have a couple of quotes that I can go through here, but before we get into that, I think our listeners need to understand who this man is. Vigano. Yes. And one of the things that people can relate to on a local level is when our Archbishop Jekylls was installed as bishop. Vigano was the um, nuncio. He's now the former nuncio, which means basically he was the representative from the Vatican to the United States, and he would you know go around to the installations for different bishops, and he was here so we in need Dubuque, a, Iowa in 2013. Yeah, qualify or, or quantify that. So a, a nuncio, think of it, it's not exactly the same, but it's he's a diplomat. He's the papal representative to the bishops and the Church of America. So he's not the only nuncio. There are nuncios, papal nuncios, to all of the uh, various bishops' conferences uh, across the world here. But here's an interesting thing here. Uh, Isn't it... It's not quite true, but he's as close to being canceled without being canceled as you can get. Well, he's in hiding, he's so in hiding I think for that's his pretty life. close to canceled. He's in hiding for his life. And so and why? And why? And, you know, I look at that and I'm like, well, why don't some of these bishops, or I guess I'm just asking because I'm ignorant, why would someone with the power and the prestige of a nuncio who would come to Dubuque, Iowa, to be part of the installation for our own bishop at the time, um, where's the connection with these other bishops? Do they not have his back? And a lot of it, the reason he went into hiding is he brought out um, the truth about Cardinal McCarrick. Or he, he said, we've, we've, we've got to come clean with the truth. And he, he immediately started going down the track of, these are scandals that are going to come out, and we need to come clean. And the one thing that I remember him saying when he did that is, I'm not a young man anymore, and I'm going to meet my fate, and I'm going to be responsible for Wasn't what I've done. Wasn't going to compromise. Wasn't going to compromise. And he wanted to um, do all he could so that when he dies, he's ready to meet Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask this. I know you know it, but for our listeners, Colleen, you keep saying not everybody listening quite gets this here. If McCarrick's under lockdown, he's been laicized, 
He's now been uh, charged, not arrested, charged. Um, why does Vigano need to hide? Well, maybe there's other people that would want to get to Vigano. Because we have seen, like we talked about earlier, there are other cardinals, there are other bishops that know what's going on and they don't want to let the cat out of the bag. Right? Because it's like if one domino falls, the rest are going to fall. Which brings up an interesting point. If McCarrick is arrested, will he tell all? Will he... Will who tell all? Will McCarrick spill the beans on every other cardinal that's involved? I doubt it. You doubt it? Maybe he's going to have a Vigano conversion of, I'm getting, I'm 91. Let's pray for that. Let's absolutely pray for that because he could expose a lot of the ugly side of the human side of the church. For the salvation of all the souls involved, of every priest and bishop that's been involved in any kind of scandal, let's pray that the conversion comes towards these folks so that they can have the best opportunity at heaven. And he could do it in reparation. Yes. For all of the sins that he's done. That Suffer he's being on this side, with. not the other. Absolutely. So you, you never know. I, I mean, you know, he could be he could be the good thief. Yes. At the end of his life, he could turn to Christ. And wouldn't that be something? It would be awesome. You know, and if I go back and, and look at that, and I go back into some of his comments that he made about Pope Francis's um, Traditionis Custodes Moto Proprio, these are some quotes that he made. And it's a anyone can go out there and listen to it. You can listen to it on the different programs. Just Google it or go to YouTube and and listen to it. And and would, these are quotes well, from Vigano. Yes, these are quotes from his from his letter, and he did a recorded letter. There's it's also written, um, but I find it easier to to watch or to listen. Um, you know, he he said that Francis has once again disavowed. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The uh, and this is about the suppression of the Latin Mass, and he was talking about the hermeneutic of continuity, which basically means that the old Mass and the new Mass can can cooperate together. Um, but Francis is eliminating that. Um, Vigano also said in that that we have a non-Catholic Pope, but he did go on to say and have an explanation of what he meant by that. Um, he said that Pope Francis has, shows no understanding, no humanity, and that his behavior is not accidental. And he said it was disconcerting as he was going through his talk, and he, and one of the things that was disconcerting to him was Pope Francis's tyrannical nature, accompanied by his arguments to justify his actions in writing this letter. And he was concerned about the scandal that's given to the church again, another scandal by the abuse of the power. Um, and also that you have to be vaxxed to attend Mass. Um, he also talked about the St. Gallen Mafia and the ultra-progressive um, actions in the church. And he did bring up, which I thought was really interesting, that this is a cancer that we're suffering from now, just like we did from the French Revolution and also Vatican II, and he pointed to the Masons. And that's something that... I we haven't heard a lot about in a while. Well, and I think for me personally, I need to do some more study and research on the history of the Masons and the and the infiltration in the church. I, for me right now, it's a bunch of bullet points, but I need to get into more of the weeds and uh, really figure out just just how serious this is. Well, every pope, successive popes in the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century spoke directly 
to secret societies, which is all about Freemasonry, and the stepchild of Freemasonry, stepchildren, which is communism and, and the accompanying Marxism and homosexuality. Well, you know, you look at this and you look at... I mean, this this dates back to all of the pious popes, Pope Leo, Pope... Um, Pius X. But, yeah, Pi, I mean, you're talking 8, 9, 10, 12, right up through uh, 1950, close to 1959. To when they quit talking about it. Till they quit talking about it here. Yeah. So there are so many things that Vigano said that my mind is kind of spinning. Oh, mine still is, and I listened to it four times. But one of the things that was interesting, and, and we were talking about this the last episode, is about when, what is obedience? And when do we, when are we supposed to be obedient and to whom? And the, and the biggest thing is <clears throat> we always need to be obedient to Christ. And it's because how our will is ordered to his divine will. Everything else is secondary. And so one of the things that Vigano mentioned too on this video was that you have to, he almost puts you in a position um, Pope Francis, with some of the things that he's said over the years, to disobey the, disobey the papal authority in order to obey divine authority. And it's the, it's the divine authority that governs nations and the church. So how do we know what the divine authority is? Well, the catechism, scripture, the magisterium is what sets this. Now, the irony is, is that popes generally... Um, in the early church fathers, which a lot of them were popes, but not all, have governed and developed the magisterium over the last 2,000 years. So that's what we listen to. I think that puts us in a horrible position. It does. I mean, <laughs> since what do you the, mean? well, since the catechism hasn't been taught for three generations, critical thinking skills have been kicked to the curb we've got moral relativism anything goes all the modernists all the modernists saying uh, if it uh, how i'm it started with books like i'm okay you're okay if it feels good do it uh that might be your conscience it's not my conscience uh, but we've gotten away from the from the basic reality that there's one authority in everything that we do, whether we work at a job, whether we make a decision in our personal lives, there is one authority that we need to be accountable to in every action, every decision that we make. Well, and that's, that's, the, that's the other side of the coin here is, is we've confused that now is that, um, in fact, priests are being called out and canceled because they're not obedient. And um, o- obedience to tyrants is not a virtue and oh, uh, <laughs> obedience, obedience. Yeah, we're goodness. But obedience goodness. does have limits, right? I mean, we all yes. we all know obedience has limits. I always, whenever I hear obedience, I think back to England and the twenty bishops that sided with Henry the Eighth. I think it was twenty six, twenty seven. Okay. Uh, that sided with Henry VIII instead of the Pope. And so if their priests were obedient to them, today we'd call them Anglicans. Mm-hmm. So you can't be obedient to a bishop or an archbishop that's going to lead you away from the truth as we know it has been revealed 
through the magisterium, through scripture, through tradition, right? So obedience has a limit. Well, it does. And the, and the scandal in this whole thing, in the culture that we're living in right now, is there's been so many scandals in the church, is how do you know which priest and which bishop you should be obedient to? Great and, question. And that question, and I know you guys have answers, and I want to hear them. But tell our listeners how that answer can get real easy real quick. Well, I know someone that said, uh, if you're not sure whether or not to obey your bishop or your priest, you just do and believe what your parents did and believed, what their parents did and believed, and what their parents did and believed. Because we do have that continuity through the generations, through the centuries, um, to hold on to what was handed on to us, whether in word or through the scripture. Uh, so we hand on. Um, and that's, I think, where the root of the word tradition comes from, handing on, conservative, to conserve what has been uh, gone before us. That's what I would say is, how do I know if I'm going to be obedient? Well, is that what he would have said 100 years ago? Yeah, that's a good one. Tom? Well, I'm reminded of that uh, picture, again, of uh, Don Bosco with the Pope on the bridge of the boat uh, coming through the stormy harbor. And on one pillar, there's uh, the Blessed Eucharist, and on the other pillar is it the Blessed Virgin and her rosary. I think this is going to be real, uh, well, it already is uh, real times here. It is, real, but real. I don't think we need to make it more complicated than it is, though. I agree. We have to be in a state of grace, which means not committing mortal sin, right? And Try, going to confession when you do. Going to confession at least once a month, I would say, because we, yes. all, we all sin a lot. And even if you don't have mortal sin, you go to confession, not only is venial sin forgiven, but you get grace to get stronger. You know, so I think we go to... We go to confession to stay in a state of grace. We pray the rosary every day. We um, work on our virtues. I don't think it has, you don't need a, a doctorate degree to get into heaven. No, and and the other thing that I would add, because I like where you're going with, it's it's got to be simple because people are busy, but it but it's, but it's they want to be in the game. They Just tell me what to do. How many times have we heard that? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, I sim- that to me is simple too is go back and recite the creed. And the, and the most perfect prayer, which is? Wow, that's revolutionary. The one that Jesus taught us. Yeah. The Our, the Our Father. Father. The Creed and the Our Father. And then just let that be a study. And if you have more time, you know, let your, you know, ask your confessor when you go to confession, is there a book that you'd recommend for my certain circumstance or interest? And I think a lot of people might say, gosh, I haven't been to confession in 30 years. I'm afraid. Well, you know what? So am I for your soul. Get there. <laughs> There is well, nobody going to be happier to see you than the priest. But this brings up a big point here. And I was listening to another priest. Three minutes, are we out? Three minutes. I, so I got two thoughts I got to get in here in three minutes. So. One, uh, I haven't been to confession, I'm, hypothetically. I haven't been to confession in 30 years. I'm scared. Yeah, you should be scared. But I don't know a time that anybody I know, including me, has gone to confession that hasn't been scared. If you went a week ago, you're scared. Good point. So that's off the table. Two, to every pastor out here, and we go to Mass in a lot of parishes in a lot of states and cities, and when I look and I see your confession times are 15 minutes on a Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, or by appointment. 
what are you thinking? People are already scared to death, and you offer them one 15-minute window that may or may not work with their schedule. And if they're scared to death, they sure aren't going to call you up for an appointment. No, most definitely not. Stop it. Good point. Stop it. Good so point. we're doing that. Two, here, how, I still got time. I got two minutes for my... Sp- this, you were talking about abuse earlier. The homosexual abuse in the Catholic Church is second place. It's affected many people and many families. Four billion dollars has been paid out in the patrimony of the Catholic Church to attorneys and uh, victims. Four billion dollars that we know of. But it's not touched everybody. The biggest scandal in the church is the spiritual abuse that has affected every man, woman, and child who has ever thought or called themselves Catholic. That's right. It's a great point. This is the greatest abuse of our Catholic church. So some examples of spiritual abuse. Not teaching the catechism. 15 minutes of confession with a blue light going on here. Or you go into confession and the priest says, well, that's not a sin. And the catechism and basically every teaching you ever heard from the moment you were able to be of reason, age of reason, you know in your heart it was wrong. Opening homilies with jokes. Homilies that are democratic, social justice, um, agenda-natured in general. Not tell, not, it, it, is, it is, if you want everybody to go to heaven, which is the definition of charity... You want the greatest end for that person because you love them as them. The greatest end to their life is to spend eternity with Christ. And you don't instruct them when they are ignorant. You don't correct them when you don't admonish them. You don't visit them. You have committed spiritual abuse. That's pretty powerful. That is pretty powerful. Thank you for giving some specific examples because I think we can all, I think we've all experienced those. And the other thing, I want people to go to confession. I, I don't want to, I know I've talked to a lot of people in the past that say, well, I don't go to confession because I pray every night and I tell Jesus what I'm sorry for throughout the day. Good. So I just go straight to God. And I'm like, yeah, but there's, here's what's wrong with that is number one, you're going to probably have no opportunity to amend your life because you're not, you don't have the power to give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. You need to go to the priest because, again, the priest is acting in persona Christe, which is Christ, is sitting in that um, chair listening to your sins and giving you grace and wants to absolve you, but he can't absolve you if you're not going to tell him what it is, even if, even if he already knows. And so what I think pe- holds people back from going to confession, too, is this is what I hear all the time. Well, it's not like I killed anybody because we've lost a sense of sin, which I know we've talked right. about before. So you need a good examination of conscience, right? right. So if the Holy Spirit is stirring the hearts of any of you listeners right now and you feel like, yep, I want to go to confession, but you don't have a good examination of conscience to kind of guide you, you contact us either through the phone or the email and we will send you an excellent examination of conscience uh, so that you can prepare for the sacrament. We would even have certain priests that we'd recommend if you were concerned about which one to go to. Absolutely. 
Good point, Colleen. We ran out of the examination of conscience and got some more in here because it is popular. So call us at 563-231-3545 or info at kcrd-fm.org. Either way, we will get you one of those beautiful examinations of conscience. And uh, all things must come to an end. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. This is The Chatter with Colleen Pasnick, Janet Wagner, I'm Tom Oglesby on FM 98.3 KCRD.